Uh, one of the reasons is be- for me. That's why we're doing this. Uh, it's very, very difficult for me to preach several messages a weekend. And the reason is because I don't feel like I'm a dispenser of information. Uh, some pastors feel like that their obligation is to get up and dispense information. I don't. Uh, I feel like my job is to disciple people, to equip people, to evangelize, to connect, to release a burden that the Lord has given me. And it, it drains me every time I release that burden. And so if you're preaching one or two services a week, and let's say you get drained a quarter of a tank in your emotions, in your body, in your spirit, you drain down to a quarter of a tank, then you've got all week to refresh and fill your tank back up and, you know, all that. Well, when I do four services a weekend, I get down really low. My, my family knows Sunday afternoon I'm kind of a vegetable. I can't answer any questions. I don't, you know, they say, where do you want to go eat? I can't think of restaurants. I just, I, I, and I don't know if it's because I am started with below intelligence, you know. I don't, I don't know. But it just totally drains me. It drains me spiritually. It drains me emotionally. Um, and I have to have some emotions to connect with my family during the week. I can't be a vegetable for my family and, you know. So uh, someone asked, well, you know, asked one of the staff, well, didn't Pastor Robert used to preach five services? And uh, yes, I did, but it just about killed me. I mean, it, it wore me out. And um, so we, we just, I just can't do it. I just physically can't do it. And I can't do it emotionally and spiritually. So that's one of the reasons. Another reason is because we're thinking about the future. Uh, is uh, how many services is too many to preach? Say, for me, it's four. <laughs> that's too many. But is it five? Is it six? Is it seven? I mean, what are we going to do before until we get in the new building, which could be at least, it'll be at least two years, could be three years. So what are we going to do when people are driving through our parking lot and driving off because they can't find a place to park? So uh, we are looking toward the future of having more services, and you can do six, seven, eight. You know, uh, the other thing that we're thinking about doing is one day, even when we have that building, we're going to fill that building up too several times. But we might be able to have a, a, a church, a whole church. There's a little bit of ringing up here, by the way, guys. We might be able to have a whole church, let's say in another part of the Metroplex. You've got a pastor. You've got a worship team. You've got a whole staff there. But when it comes time for the message, it's a video message. But it is a church. I'm talking about life groups, uh, pastoral care, uh, everything. We, let's say we plant a church in McKinney one day or somewhere, you know. And it can grow to two, three, four, five thousand people, yet every week they're getting the same message. They're getting my message. And so we feel like one day we'll be one church, but multiple congregations, lots of congregations. And so, so we're looking toward the future. But those are not the major reasons for doing it. Here's the number one reason we're doing it. And I'm going to say it because your leaders, I'm going to say it straight out. Uh, we're doing it because people are going to hell. That's why we're doing it. We have to reach people. We only have so much time on this earth. And we are not going to sit back and allow people to go to hell. We're just not going to do it. And, and again, I'm going to say this real straightforwardly. Um, our attitude can never be, I'm not going to be inconvenienced. You can go to hell. Amen. 
That can never be our attitude. And so uh, we'll start this, and eventually it could be where I only preach three a weekend and two are video message. But the other thing that's great is I could actually, again, gather the leadership. We gather the leadership every so often and preach the message, and then I could be out of town in another country, and the church still has the message that God has given me for the weekend. You see what I'm saying? So uh, it just opens a lot of doors. So I'm going to preach the message to you in just a minute that I would that I'm, that will be shown this weekend. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't come back this weekend. <laughs> because I'm preaching on sin tonight. And most of you will need this message twice. But I want you to uh, as leadership, I want you to be a part of the vision that God's given us. And you're going to be asked the question. So I want you to be able to share why we're doing it. And if you can't remember all, the, all of them, make sure you remember the, the number one reason. And it's because people are going to go to hell. If we don't reach them, they're going to go to hell. And so we have to provide opportunities. Now, I, I want to um, I connect eye to eye. Many of you have even said to me after service, you know, you were looking at me right when you said this. And I'm, a, I'm an eye-to-eye preacher, but I've got to connect with every person from this weekend, so I'll be looking at the camera some tonight also, all right? But don't you check out. I need you to be really checked in tonight. And I would like for you to respond to the message kind of like Pentecostals do. <laughs> not, that, not that much. Let me, uh, if you have a Pentecostal background, no, not, not that much. If you have a Baptist background, a little more, okay? Or Methodist or whatever it is. But if you'll laugh, if you'll stay connected, if you'll say amen if you want to, it will just help me to feel like we're communicating, okay? Now, the first part of it is I'm going to do a little thing like I did a few weeks ago. I'm going to stand up here and just be looking at the camera for about 10 seconds to kind of get that shot. And then Sunday, I'm going to interact a little bit with myself on the screen. So I'm going to do that at the first tonight. In other words, I'm going to say hello, and then I'm going to say hey, like I'm talking to me at the pulpit. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to preach. Okay, you can go. Okay, thanks. So I'll do a little bit of acting, if that's okay. Uh, but the only reason I'm doing it is to help to help people. You understand? There's no nothing in me that wants to act. There's something in me that wants to help people. So I want every person who comes this weekend to feel like they're getting uh, the best of me, you know, the message. So, and then we'll get into the message, and I hope you have your Bibles. And, and, and then after the message, and after all of you repent at the end of the message, then we'll have time for question and answers. Okay? Everyone understand what we're doing and why we're doing it? And you can ask questions at the afterwards, Okay. All right, I'm going to pray. After I pray, I'm going to look at the camera for a little while, and we'll do this little thing that we'll start with, and then we'll get into the message, okay? Lord, I want to tell you thank you for the message that you've given me, for every person that's here tonight and for every person that's going to be here this weekend. And, Lord, I pray that you will help me communicate the burden that is on your heart for this message tonight. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll come tonight and anoint 
me as I share the word and anoint every person as we hear the word. And I pray, Lord, you'll do a work in our hearts tonight. And, Lord, I pray that you will never, ever, ever let us forget that we are the light in the world. We are your light in the world. And that people will spend eternity separated from you if we don't present the gospel. And so, Lord, I ask you for your anointing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, everyone ready? Hopefully we won't have to take two on this first part. Okay. You can laugh on that part. We're gonna We're gonna have to do another take. You're a part of this tonight. Film before a live studio audience. Okay. Not laugh there. See that wasn't funny. Let me smile and then laugh when I wait. I'll be a little tougher than I thought. Okay, you ready? Take three. Hey, not you. I'm talking to me. Y'all haven't done TV, have you? I'm standing in the pulpit on Sunday, and I'm talking to me, saying, hey, and then I'm going to say, hey, okay, all right, take four. Now I'm tickled. (laughs) Okay, here we go. (laughs) Amen, thank you. No, not then. Gosh. This is the fifth take. What? No. No, we will have a bloopers tape one day, I'm sure, but hopefully not the first week. But we're getting some good footage for it. Okay, everyone ready? (laughs) Hey, hey, I'm ready. Okay, thanks. All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 12 and Psalm 51, all right? And we're going to begin a new series talking about prayer. We're calling it Drawing Closer, The Secrets of Prayer. And I am extremely excited about this new series because I really believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. Now, let me just make some opening comments about prayer, all right? And one is that prayer probably for most of us isn't that exciting. I mean, when you think about prayer, you probably don't get that excited. But let me tell you something. You will get excited through this series, I promise you. 
So we're going to talk about drawing closer the secrets of prayer. And let me tell you what the first secret is. The first secret is the prayer of confession. The prayer of confession. Now, one of the reasons I I got excited when the Lord put this on my heart was that this is New Year's Day weekend that we're talking about, all right? And what do we do every New Year's Day? What does everyone do? Resolutions. And I don't know if you know this, but do you know what the number one resolution is? Lose weight. That's correct. Do you know what the number one resolution is that's broken? Lose weight. Yeah. So, and I've done it too, and I've broken it several times. So last year, I decided to make a New Year's resolution that I would keep. And so my New Year's resolution for last year was to eat more Butterfingers. And let me just tell you, sometimes it's tough. But if you use self-discipline and you really sacrifice, you can keep that resolution. And so I've kept that resolution this year. All right? So we're going to talk about confession. The reason is, if you don't understand the prayer of confession, you will not understand any other prayer. And you can't go on. This is the first base when it comes to prayer. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith. It's what we call the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. And here's what he's saying. We are surrounded by people who've already gone to be with the Lord. And they are cheering us on. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So we need to run the race with endurance. In other words, not just one day or two days, but we need to, our whole life needs to be a race that we run and that we win serving the Lord. And then he said the only way to be able to do this is to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. Old King James uses another word, and you've probably heard this word, that besets us. We call it the besetting sin. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Do you have a sin that easily ensnares you? Do you have, you know, by the way, do you know what the number two New Year's resolution is? First one is lose weight. You know what the number two is? Stop smoking. I have a friend that um, uh, is a believer, loves the Lord, smokes. And has tried and tried for years. And he said to me one time, he said, if I stop smoking, uh, you and my wife will not have anything to talk about. (laughs) Because I'll be perfect. And that's the way many of us feel about our besetting sin or our ensnaring sin. There's probably one sin or a group of sins that you fall to a lot. And here's some things that we do with with an ensnaring sin, all right? Um, let, me, let me ask you this, by the way, while we're talking about this. Since you believed, have you ever felt like that you took a swan dive back into sin? You ever felt that way? And you, and you just beat yourself up and say, why did I do that? I know the Lord. I love the Lord. Why did I go back into sin in that way? All right, here are some things that we do a lot of times. Instead of God's remedy, which God's remedy is confession, instead of God's remedy for sin, here are some things that we do. One thing we do is doubt our salvation. When you go through a sin that ensnares you and it's over and over again, let me just ask you, have you ever doubted your salvation? 
Have you ever thought, I, must, I just must not be saved? Or for me, I remember because of a sin that I had in my life for years and years and years, here's what I, I thought. I wish I could just get saved again. And then I could say, yes, all that was before I got saved. But I got junk in my life since I got saved, you know. And so we doubt our salvation. Um, have you ever imagined God kicking you out of the family? You ever had that thought? I've had the thought of God saying to me, okay, fella, you're out of here. I mean, you've done this too many times. You just keep doing it and keep doing it. You're out of here. And I have the, the little analogy in my mind of God opening the door and, you know, pushing me out the door. And then when he turns around to the people still in the family, while he's closing the door, I can hear him say, who let that guy in? I mean, what was I thinking letting that guy into the family? It's been 20 years and he hasn't overcome this sin. Can, can anyone here relate to what I'm saying? You've got a sin that easily ensnares you. So the first thing we do is we doubt ourselves. Here's the second response. We beat ourselves up. We, we give our inner man a good chewing out. I mean, we just chew him out royally. You know, you are a jerk. You are an idiot. You, you, you are a slime ball. You're a dirt bag. You're pond scum. And we just chew the inner man out. By the way, let me just tell you, none of these things work. But, okay, I, I just know because I've tried them all. Doubting your salvation doesn't work. Chewing yourself out doesn't work. But here's the third thing we do. We make wild resolutions. We say something like this. I will never do that again. God, I just want you to know, because I feel so bad for what I've done, and you need to know how bad I feel, I want you to know I will be an angel from this point out. I will, uh, if you, you want perfection, I swear it's perfection from here on out. And we make these wild resolutions. Okay, listen to me. Doubting doesn't work. Chewing yourself out doesn't work. And putting yourself under more law doesn't work. There's only one way to deal with sin. It's God's way, and it's called confess it. It's the only way. So flip to Psalm 51, and we're going to look at the number one confessor in the Bible. <laughs> who, who would be the number one confessor? David, right? A man after God's own heart. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Think about this. A man after God's own heart committed adultery and murder. Now, that's incredible. So here's what we're going to look at. The four secrets of the prayer of confession. All right? Here's the number one. Admit. Admit. Now, Psalm 51, notice the word my in the first three verses. All right? Notice the word my. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Notice he said, I acknowledge it, God. I admit it. I admit it. This is the first step to overcoming sin is to stop sweeping it under the carpet and simply admit it. And here's what we do most of the time with what, again, the Bible calls a sin that easily ensnares us or a besetting sin. Here's what we do. We stop confessing it. Because we feel like God is tired of hearing it. God, you've heard this so many times, you've got to be tired of it, and I'm going to quit going. And that's exactly what the devil tells us as well. Quit telling this to God. Listen to me. When you stop confessing it, 
If you, if you ever come to the place, once you stop confessing it, you will then stop considering it as sin. When you, let me say it again. When you stop confessing it as sin, you stop considering it as sin. And when you stop considering it as sin, you accept it as a normal part of your life and behavior, and you live in sin without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So no matter how many times you fall to it, God's remedy is not to doubt yourself, not to beat yourself up, not to put yourself under more laws to make more wild resolutions that you'll never do it, but to confess it. It's that simple. First, first John 1 John 1.9. Let me read this to you. All of you know it, but let me read it to you. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is God's remedy for dealing with sin. And I want you to notice something very important about this verse. It begins with the word if. If we confess our sins. But if we say, I'm not going to confess it because I've confessed it so many times, God is sick of me coming to Him, then we don't receive that God's forgiveness. And here's what else we don't receive. We don't receive a purified conscience. And so Hebrews tells us we serve God out of a, an impure conscience and we serve Him out of dead works. We begin trying to do things to earn God's love and God's forgiveness. So you've got to confess it. Now let me just tell you some background on First John, all right? First John was written... It's the, uh, the last book that was written in the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It was written by John, the apostle, and it was written to the church at Ephesus, but there was already a book called Ephesians, so anyway, so he called it 1 John. But it was written to the church at Ephesus, and it was written toward the end of the first century to combat the theology of the Gnostics. The Gnostics were people who worshipped knowledge, and they had infiltrated the church at Ephesus. It comes, uh, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means to know. And so they came in and they began to talk about how knowledge was so important and you had to come to knowledge. And they even, they were really the first Mormons because they claimed extra biblical revelation. They claimed that they had knowledge that the rest of the church didn't have. And they claimed that they had some knowledge uh, that uh, like an angel had given them, not the Holy Spirit. And this is why John even starts the book out with, hey, what I'm telling you, I heard from him. If you just read First John later, he starts out with saying, what I'm telling you, I heard directly from Jesus. And if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. And if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ. So if you, if you do sin, then you need to confess it. If you'll confess it, you'll be forgiven of it. You see what I'm saying? That's the context of first John. By the way, also the Gnostics also believe that Jesus was not fully God and not fully man. It's where the doctrine first came into the church, by the Gnostics. They believed he was not fully God and fully man. They actually believed that the Spirit of Christ came on him at his baptism and left him right before he was crucified. And they said they had extra-biblical revelation that told them that. That's how they got that. And here's the other thing they believe. They believe that their spirit and their body were completely separate and that whatever they did in their body didn't affect their spirit or their soul. And they were from a... The, the background was a Greek background. If you know anything about Greek mythology, it's a very sensual background. They were involved in tremendous sexual sin, but they believed that it didn't affect them. And that's why John says, let me just explain something to you. If you practice sin, continue to practice immoral sin, you really haven't been born of God. 
See, you can't understand some of these difficult passages in 1 John unless you understand why John was writing the book in the first place. And there are all these difficult passages in 1 John where people say, I, you know, I don't understand this. Well, you've got to do a little background study to be able to understand it. And so that's what he's writing. And so he's saying to them, if you say that you have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, you don't even know the truth. So the first thing that we've got to do if you're going to overcome any type, and you know what, before we go any further, is there anyone here that has ever had in your life what you would call a besetting sin or sin that easily ensnares you? Let me see your hand. Okay, that's all of us. If you're ever going to overcome it, the first thing you have to do is to admit it. All right? Here's the second thing you have to do. Agree. Agree with God. All right. Now, in Psalm 51, verse 4, notice the word you. All right? Notice the word you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Here, here is what... Uh, David is starting out with, I admit that I did it, and I agree with you that it was wrong. If you stop doing that, you're going to stay in bondage to this sin. You have to come to place that you will admit that you did it and agree with God that it was sin. That's what he's doing. Stop justifying sin. Stop justifying it. Uh, I heard about a woman who got drunk on New Year's Eve. And someone said to her the next day, uh, I heard you had a little too much to drink last night. Her response was, yes, I hate it when I get overserved." <laughs> I told them not to serve me so much, but they overserved me, so I got drunk. Okay, that's not owning the sin. That's not agreeing with God and admitting that you did it and agreeing with Him that it's evil. Now, before you judge her... We all do this. Yes, I lost my cool, but if you had had the day I had, if you had the boss I had, you would lose your cool too. If you had the spouse I had, if you were under the stress I'm under, stop justifying sin. And let me tell you a definition of sin that maybe you've never heard. This definition comes from kind of all over the Bible. I know the word for sin. I know all that. I know that that. But I'm just taking a definition from, from lots of Scripture from uh, across its Scripture, across the Bible, right? Here's, the def- here's one of my definitions of sin. Spiritual adultery. It's being intimate with someone other than God or something other than God. It's yielding the very innermost being of your spirit, your soul, to something other than God. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, several years ago, I preached a series on this. What is your refuge? Now, because we're in church... If I said to you, what is your refuge, all of you would say, God is my refuge and strength. But if I gave you truth serum, we would probably get some answers like this. Money is my refuge and strength. Visa is a very present help in trouble. 
Food is my refuge and strength. Twinkies are a very present help in trouble. One little boy in Sunday school class was uh, asked um, by the teacher, what is lying? Here's what he said. Lying is an abomination to God. And then he turned to his friend and said, and a very present help in time of trouble. (laughs) Anything you turn to in time of trouble is sin other than God. Let me say that again. And by the way, whatever you turn to, let me just give you a few others. Medicine. Medicine is a very present help in time of trouble. Uh, Ambien is a very present help in time of trouble. Rather than deal with it with God and cast my care on Him, I just want to go to sleep. Sports, entertainment, fantasy, alcohol, drugs are my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And here's the thing. God is my refuge and strength. Listen to me carefully. If God is not your refuge, He's not your strength. Let me say that again. If God is not your refuge, He's not your strength. See, you have to, you have to yield to something when temptation comes. If temptation and the Holy Spirit come to the same intersection, only one can pass. I'm giving you an analogy here. I want you to think about this. When temptation and the Holy Spirit come to the same intersection, only, you can only yield to one. And when you yield to this other thing or this, this vice, you're saying money is my refuge and my strength. And I just want to tell you something about money. It's not your strength. It cannot strengthen you. God is the only one that can strengthen you. All right, so you've got to admit it. You've got to agree. Here's the third secret of the prayer of confession. Ask. Ask. Now, I could have done the whole psalm of Psalm 51. I could have done the whole thing. But let me just show you a couple of verses, and I'm going to add a few words to let you see my point. Verse 10, Psalm 51, verse 10. Here, in essence, is what David is saying. I ask you to create in me a clean heart, O God. I ask you to renew a steadfast spirit within me. I ask you to restore to me the joy of your salvation, and I'm asking you to uphold me by your generous spirit. Psalm 51 was written right after Nathan confronted David with his sin. His sin, like we said earlier, was adultery and murder. David comes, I mean, Nathan comes and confronts him. Now, just think about this for something, for a second. All of us have fallen in sin, but how much guilt and shame do you have if you commit adultery and murder? How much guilt and shame would you have if you commit adultery and murder? David wrote another psalm, which a lot of people don't realize, that was about his sin with Bathsheba. Psalm 32, verse 3 says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now this is a simple but wonderful truth. Here's the truth. God forgives us when we ask. But you have to ask. And again, I want to tell you, with a besetting sin or a sin that we feel like that we'll never be able to overcome, the problem is that we stop asking. 
And when we stop asking, we stop receiving. It's not that God doesn't stop, that God stops giving. It's that we stop receiving that forgiveness and we begin to have this seared conscience. And please understand, I have done this. I have had a besetting sin in my life where I got tired of going to God with it and thought he was tired of it. And so I would go months without confessing it because I didn't want to go to him again. And the problem was that I got further and further away from the presence of the Lord. And that's what David is saying here. When I hid my sin, physically I went down. Spiritually I went down. Everything about me went down as long as I hid my sin. But when I confessed it, God forgave it. And that's what I'm telling you. Don't stop asking for forgiveness from God. You have to ask. And it's, it's that simple. He's already paid for it. You just have to ask. Now, here's the fourth secret of confession, all right? Accept. Psalm 51, again, I wish, hope, or hope you read the whole psalm this week sometime. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, here's what David is saying. If you wanted me to go slaughter an animal, I'd do it. If that would help, that's what I'd do. But that's not what you want. I know what you want. What you want is my heart to be broken about the sin. You want me to admit it, not to hide it anymore. You want me to admit it, and you want me to agree with you, God. That's what you want. And you want me to ask you to forgive me. So I've done that, so now I'm going to accept your forgiveness. Listen, God doesn't want you to do penance. He doesn't want you to beat yourself up about the sin. He doesn't want you to doubt your salvation. He doesn't want you to put yourself under more law. He simply wants you to confess your sins so He can forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is God's way. And when it comes to a besetting sin or a sin that we easily fall to, we feel like God's tired of me coming to Him. And, uh, and here's the other thing. Once we do confess it, we feel like God wants us to feel bad about it for a while. God just, it, God, it, it, it will help him know how sorry I am if I walk around with no joy for a little while. If I'll just walk around with my head down, then he'll know this time I'm serious about it. Listen to me carefully. Jesus was serious about paying for your sin. It's already been paid for seriously. All you have to do is God's way. God's way is if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all righteousness. And then we have to accept it. You just have to accept it. Once you confess your sin to God, just accept God's forgiveness. Accept it. Now, I want to show you something that I have in my dresser at home. So you're going to know how, I've told you before, I'm real messed up, and it's just God's grace that he uses me. Um, I've got this horrible past, and it's been difficult for me to overcome it. So I'm just going to tell you something. I have this in my dresser right now, and I brought it up here to show you. It's in my dresser. Every day when I get dressed, when I open my dresser drawer, I see this. Every day. Now, let me tell you something. I understand that... In religion, 
This has become to some people an idol. I understand that. But for a moment, get over that. Okay? And just trust me as your pastor because this is, it's, it, it means something to me. This is in my dresser. What is it? A cross, but we call it a crucifix. I understand that Jesus is not on the cross anymore. Okay? You don't have to come up afterwards and tell me that, nor do you have to write me an email about it and tell me Jesus is not on the cross. You shouldn't have that. Okay. I understand he's not on the cross anymore. But he was. And he was for me. And he was for my sin. And he was for my guilt. And he was for my shame. So every day when I open the drawer, I see this. And I say something like this. Thank you, Lord. That you bore all of my sin. And I don't have to be in bondage to sin today. And I have the power to overcome sin today. And thank you that you also took my shame on this cross. And sometimes I'll even pick it up and do this right here. Lord, I put my shame on your cross today. I put my guilt. I put my sin. I thank you if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me. And to cleanse me. Listen, you're not going to live in victory if you come to a place that you stop confessing sin to God. You have to confess it. You have to admit it. You have to agree. You have to ask. And you have to accept. Now, I would not preach a message on confession and not give you a chance to confess. Since this is New Year's weekend, we're not going to make a bunch of wild resolutions. What we're going to do is say, God, I confess to you my sin. And what I want us to do is confess the sin that easily ensnares us. And I want you to believe that you can be forgiven and you can be freed from that sin. All right? I want, to, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to bring that sin to your heart right now. Or sins. There could be two or three. But what is the sin that easily ensnares you? What is the sin that it seems like you haven't been able to overcome it for years? It probably will come to your mind quickly. And I want you to deal with it in God's way. I don't want you to feel bad about it and beat yourself up about it. I don't want you to chew yourself out about it. I want you to just confess it. Just right now, confess it. God, I confess to you that lying... And exaggerating is sin. I confess to you pride is sin. I confess to you unforgiveness is sin. I confess to you fantasy is sin. I confess to you lust is sin. I confess to you fear is sin. I confess to you doubt and unbelief is sin. 
Whatever it is, I confess to you, anger is sin. I'm going to stop justifying it, and I'm going to call it what it is. I confess to you that this is sin, and I ask you to forgive me. And I receive your forgiveness. Receive it. I receive your forgiveness. I thank you, Jesus, that my anger was put on the cross. That my lust was put on the cross. That my fear was put on the cross. And I received that. Now, Holy Spirit, thank you, thank you, thank you that you came up with a way to deal with sin. It's not doubt. It's not putting ourselves under more law. It's not beating ourselves up. It's as simple as confessing. And so, Lord, as we have confessed our sin tonight, we receive your forgiveness. And, Lord, I pray that every person here will hold this truth in his heart, in her heart, and will walk in this truth and not just try to sweep it under the carpet. But as David said, I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to confess it. And I'm going to accept God's forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. You glad you came tonight? Thank you for coming. If you have any questions about the um, video message, by the way, let me tell you one other thing.